I'm Aaron Hinkin. This is the Maryland Curiosity Bureau. Hey, everybody. We're going to get to this week's listener question in just a moment. But first, I got to say, one interesting thing about doing this podcast, you never know who's listening. Last week's episode, you will remember, was a story inspired by the following question. And I quote, why is Baltimore's bus system such a mess? A question that does not mince words. And uh, one of you out there who happened to hear that episode was this woman. I'm Holly Arnold, the administrator of the Maryland Transit Administration. Yikes. You might recall there was a healthy dose of criticism leveled against the MTA last episode. So when I got word that the target of all that criticism heard the show, I did not know what to expect next. I was like, am I about to get balled out by the MTA? But... I got to say this about Administrator Holly Arnold. She has been the head of the agency since 2021. She was appointed to the position by Governor Hogan. But even the grumpiest transit advocates give this woman their begrudging respect. They say she's the real deal. She rides public transit herself every day. And when I asked her what she thought about last week's episode, here's what she said. I think it highlights the importance of transit, uh, the need that we have to maintain the the frequent, reliable, easy-to-use service that is my goal at this agency. You know, I ride daily. I take my daughter to school. I ride several buses most days. And I understand the need for us to be reliable. You may have no interest in commenting on this at all, but what, what was fascinating to me last episode, like one of the big things I learned was the fact that the public transit system in Baltimore proper it answers to the governor. It answers to the state level. And so you have a governor that maybe is not that interested in supporting public transit in Baltimore. You have a new governor that's come in that is indicating that he is. How much of your job is, is you know, negotiating the, the politics and sort of being a relay person between what Baltimore needs and what Annapolis thinks that Baltimore needs? You know, I think we're laser focused on providing the service that Baltimore needs. Um, the team that we have here uh, is, is from the region, lives in the city, rides the service, and knows that Baltimore, in order to be a world-class city, we need world-class transit, and we're focused on providing that. Diplomatically put. The other thing that was interesting in that story was um, hearing advocates talk about the fact that, like, public transit riders are not the most powerful lobbying group compared to other lobbying groups. And so, you know, it's easy for politicians to ignore and underfund the system, and then you end up in this negative feedback loop. Transit riders, as you know, aren't always uh, able to show up to meetings in the evenings and, and you know go to Annapolis. And so as part of the outreach that we do here at MTA, we actually go on the system. Uh, we set up at bus stops and talk to riders as they're waiting or as they're getting uh, off the bus. Um, and so making sure that their voices are heard, and we try to elevate that to folks when we're having those conversations. Uh, we knock on doors. I um, mean, you know, we're looking at replacing our Eastern Bus Division over uh, in Highland Town area. And so we've actually, uh, we have a, a, a person who's going, who speaks Spanish and a person who speaks Greek. And we go and knock on all the doors. And we want to make sure that we're hearing from the folks uh, and speaking to them in the way that they uh, can understand. MDOT MTA Administrator Holly Arnold. We're going to hear more from her once we get into this week's episode because we have another question from another listener about the city's bus system. Here it is. I'm Lizzie Bellinger, and my question is, how did it come to be that the Baltimore City schools don't have school buses? Lizzie, this is an interesting question. This is a, a good observation. You will see Baltimore City school kids riding MTA buses to school. What is your uh, interest? What prompted this question? 
Well, I live in Baltimore City, and I have a daughter who this year started kindergarten. And her school actually does have a school bus service for the elementary school kids. So she does ride the bus to school, the school bus to school. But once she starts middle school, she won't be allowed to ride that same school bus anymore, even though she's going to be at the same school and living in the same house. She'll have to either walk or take NTA. This is a fascinating question. Why do city school kids have to ride the MTA bus to school? I'm going to... uh... I'm going to see what I can figure out for you. Thanks. We might as well start at the top, right? Here's Holly Arnold again, head of MDOT MTA. What do you know about this mystery? It's an old mystery. So I think it predates me, um, and I, I don't know. Um, it is pretty typical in large cities for school students to ride the public system, and so you know we are not unique in that. So Administrator Arnold does not know the answer to the question, and she is not alone. Bus transit advocates are also at a loss. To be honest, mystery to us too. I mean, I think it goes way, way back. And I don't think it was really, to be honest, even a thoughtful or intentional decision. I think it just, it kind of just was. This is Ruth Farfel. She works at the Fund for Educational Excellence with her colleague, Kawan Wyatt. It just feels like it's something that, you know, so many students are from every generation is born into. We've spoken to people who went to city schools in the 70s, mm-hmm. so so many generations, and it was the same story for them, yeah. having to catch the bus. So it's just so hard to sort of trace that original thread of when things became the way that they were. Kawan and Ruth put out a report in 2021. It's called Not in Service, Why Public Transit Must Aim to Serve Students. They interviewed hundreds of student bus commuters in Baltimore, and we'll get into what they learned in a minute. But first, I'm going to lay my cards on the table for our listener, Lizzie. This is as close as I can get to an answer to your question about why there are no school buses for Baltimore City school kids. I am holding in my hands an old Sun Paper article here from November 1970. The headline reads, Schools cancel bus buying to continue MTA contract. I should say this article was buried on page C12 of the paper that day, so this was obviously not considered front page news at the time. Just a little item that read Baltimore's public schools withdrew their request yesterday for $5.1 million in state funds to purchase 300 school buses. According to Dr. Saul M. Perdue, assistant superintendent in charge of business, the City Department of Education will continue its present contract with the Metropolitan Transit Authority for another two years and only then decide whether the school system should acquire a fleet of its own. So, What can we infer from this little newspaper blurb from more than 50 years ago? First, I guess, how incredible is inflation? You could buy 300 school buses for $5 million in 1970. That's like $17,000 for a school bus. You are not going to find a deal like that today. But uh, that aside, this article really makes clear, number one, school kids had already routinely been riding MTA buses before 1970. And number two, No school buses? No big deal. Maybe they'll try again in a few years. Print it on page C12, and on we go with life. And now, 50 years later, that's just the way it is, and the way it feels like it's always been. The question is, how is it actually working out for you if you're a Baltimore City School student? Hello, it is 318, and I'm about to go home and on the bus. 
My name is Isabel. I am currently attending Cristo Rey Jesuit High School, and I'm 18 years old. Isabel is a senior. She's one of those Baltimore City school kids whose school bus is not a school bus, but an MTA bus. Isabel, by the way, also interns at WYPR once a week, and uh, she decided to be a good sport and let me ride along with her on one of her afternoon commutes home from school. So where do we catch the bus? Uh, We're here at the corner of Chester Street and uh, Eastern Avenue. We had to go across the street to catch the bus. We had to go the other way. I'll follow you. I started riding the MTA in freshman year. My experience with it is a bit chaotic. I have to go from Crystal Ray, which is in the city, to the county in Dundalk. I'm waiting. We're both waiting for the Navy to come. We can either take the Dundalk or the Water's Edge one. The Water's Edge is the one I most prefer prefer because it goes closer to my house. You'll take whichever one comes first, though? Yes. You have to take what you get. (laughs) Isabel's bus commute is a straight shot. She doesn't have to negotiate a transfer, so she says she's luckier in that way than a lot of her classmates. She gets up at 5.30 a.m. on school days. She walks her brother over to a different school and then catches her bus so she can be to Crystal Ray by 7.45 a.m. Morning rides, she says, usually go pretty smoothly, about 15 or 20 minutes. It's the afternoons that are the wild card. In the afternoon, the buses will be very overcrowded or you will deal with off-duty buses. And trying to get into the county from the city is very chaotic due to those reasons. From that 15 to 20 minute ride, it turns into an hour or about two hours, depending on um, reasons of you're going to get skipped on the bus route or the bus breaking down. Oh, is this it? Yeah, we'll see if it stops. Welcome aboard the MTA. And then you have situations like that. Explain what just happened. The bus just rolled up, the driver opened the door. It was crowded to the brim, which is a usual experience when you're trying to take the Navy. So he said, I don't know if the microphone caught it, but he said, I'm shutting the door and uh, off they went, and here we are still at the bus stop. Yep. So what does your transit app say now that we've missed the chance to get on that bus? It says 13 minutes. Do you have regular after-school extracurriculars that have to factor into your schedule and your bus schedule? I used to have our club on Mondays, but I stopped going into it just because I didn't the bus schedule. Do people usually pretty much leave you in peace when you're stuck out on the street corner waiting for the bus? You must have interesting interactions with people, I imagine. Yeah, it depends on what time you're standing out here. If it's getting late, then a lot of people who are either intoxicated or homeless will come up to you. So you get out of school at 320? 3.18. 3.18? Let's do a time check. What time is it right now? It is now... 343. It's it's been a it's been a while. Alright, I see a bus coming up a couple lights down the street. Is this one of our potential rides? Yep. Welcome aboard the Alright, so it's taken about a half hour, but Isabel has managed to squeeze onto this bus. She is standing wedged between a crush of passengers. But she says the bus is eventually going to empty out as it makes its way out toward Dundalk. So uh, as Isabel heads east down Eastern Avenue, 
We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll talk with Ruth and Kawan from the Fund for Educational Excellence about what they learned when they talked to 274 other school kids like Isabel, kids whose school bus ride is the MTA. You're listening to the Maryland Curiosity Bureau. More in a moment. In March of 2020, before COVID shut things down, about 29,000 city school students were using the MTA every day to get to and from school. That's almost 20% of the system's total annual ridership. And uh, here's another percentage for you. 73% of city school students rely on MTA to get to and from school. Three out of four kids. These are some of the facts laid out at the top of the Fund for Educational Excellence's 2021 report titled Not in Service. It's a deep look at how good of a job the MTA is doing serving student riders. And as the title suggests, there are problems. It's not an easy system and it's truly impacting their education. Ruth Farfel says kids are dealing with buses that are unpredictable and routes and transfers that are hard to navigate. Her colleague, Kawan Wyatt, says the system makes the kids late for school on the regular. For 2018-2019 school year, um, there were 20,600 high school students. They were collectively tardy for their first period class 335,000 times (laughs) for that school year, um, with 79% of high school students arriving late to their first period at least once. Kawan and Ruth and their team interviewed 274 high school students from 32 different schools for their report. When we set out to do this report, we wanted to take to get a sense of, you know, one, how students were traveling to and from school, but also why they were traveling, where they were traveling, and what those experiences were and how it impacted them both academically and from a social-emotional standpoint. And in these, you know, 30-minute interviews with 274 students we spoke to, we really saw a lot of themes, and it, out of the 10 major themes, they really fit into two major buckets, um, how students were impacted both from a safety standpoint and then also how that reliability impacted them on an academic level. The team also rode along with some of the students on their commutes and recorded their experiences as commuters. My school by drive is probably like, I don't know, 15, maybe 25 minutes with really rough traffic. But I know via transit, it's a lot rougher. The bus wait alone can be an hour and the bus ride is 40 minutes. That's on a very good day. It takes about an hour, an hour and a half because I got to go over to Evanston Village. Mind you, I don't have service on my phone. So I often had to memorize what time it comes. But it often comes delayed, it often comes late. It just comes what it wants to. And I don't feel like standing out here. Even though I don't feel like standing out here, I ain't got nowhere else to go. Because this is the only route I can take to school. The students in these videos talk a lot about how much of their day gets eaten up by the bus system. They talk about how chronic tardiness hurts their grades. They also talk about their worries for their own safety. Because again, these aren't school buses. These kids are sharing crowded buses and bus stops with adult riders. Another thing we heard a lot about was how common it is to see arguments and physical fights break out uh, on public transit and how uncomfortable and irritated it makes students feel. Um, One student expressed to us how she feels unsafe walking through certain neighborhoods due due to gender-based harassment. Um, So I'll I'll read a quote from um, the 
her interview that was featured in our report. Um, we'll refer to the student as uh, Amaya, as we obviously don't use their, their actual name. Um, but she was a ninth grader at the time at Baltimore City College. Um, she says, I'm usually feeling a little unsafe in a way because there are a lot of grown men at corners just chilling like it's a party or something. And I'll be there with my sister, but we still feel unsafe. And sometimes we'll walk to the closest bus stop over so we don't have to be on the corner with uh, overcrowded with men. Um, to keep herself safe, Amaya says she travels with a sister or a friend every day. And because she doesn't um, feel safe traveling on the bus after dark, she doesn't even participate in any after-school activities. Like, that's off the table for her. She expressed to us in the interview that having her hair done or wearing makeup would invite unwanted attention so she can't look pretty on the way to school. And, you know, we, we realize that either way, even if the transit system was reliable, she still would encounter some of these things. But the point we're trying to make, I think, with the report is that the more unreliable service is for Maya and for students like her, for 10th graders, 9th graders, young ladies in 7th and 8th grade who have to catch the bus, the more unreliable it is, the more they have to think about alternate routes because the original trip that they planned isn't going to get them to school on time, the more they have to stand out in the elements because the bus didn't come when it was supposed to and it's 20 and 30 minutes late, the more they're put at risk. You asked students as part of this report for their own direct experience-based recommendations for improving their commute. What Talk to me about what they had to say. Yeah. One of the things we heard over and over and over is please run more buses more frequently. We need more buses to come more frequently because we can't get to school on time. They're driving past us. They're crowded. Um, they also really want to see improvements in the transit app. The app often doesn't include cut runs. It shows a bus coming and the bus doesn't come. So the data it's showing is really not accurate. And just like Kawan talked about the safety, they really would like just honestly more lighting, more shelters, like physical aspects of their environment to feel like they feel more safe and like people are thinking about their safety when they're when they're traveling. A recommendation that we came up with based on the conversations that we had was that the city of Baltimore at MTA should develop a campaign or initiative to combat sexual harassment on transit and around transit stations and bus stops. We've had conversations with MTA about this. They've made commitments verbally to do so. They actually do have a campaign, um, but it's just an interesting process. They began to do that and we sort of were left out of the the planning process with that. And um, so we still are kind of sort of in the dark. You know, we see the some of the, um, the the marketing materials that speak against harassment, but we would hope that it's a, a more robust campaign that has uh, mechanisms that allow for different functions for students and for anyone who feels harassed to feel comfortable with reporting these incidences or being able to feel that there's something being done about it larger than just um, a poster being hung up. Yeah, I just wanted to add right now, there's really no data um, and I'm not sure they even have a mechanism for collecting data. And we find that's really important if you're going to combat like where and how these incidents are, are happening. So I want everyone to feel comfortable in our system. Here's Holly Arnold again, administrator of MTA. 
I ride with my seven-year-old, right? So I understand when uh, adults are doing things they shouldn't do that makes her uncomfortable. And I, I want to make sure that everyone feels comfortable and knows what's acceptable on transit. So we did roll out an anti-harassment campaign this uh, past fall that really does highlight, hey, harassment, I mean, it's not okay anywhere, but it's especially not okay on, on transit. And that's something we've never really said before. So we're now putting that out there. We have a website where folks can go and check it out. Um, so it is on our main website uh, that gives information for what to do if you if you see harassment, if you're being harassed, there is a form to report it. And it does give some targeted answers for things that people can do to help someone if they, if they see harassment. Um, we've been training our operators and we're continuing that. We are collecting data now and will continue. Um, and we're looking at rolling out future phases of this to really establish like what is an okay is what is and isn't okay on transit. Um, we, again, we want to make sure we're doing it right. There's a lot of agencies out there that have been doing this, and so we're learning from them. And so we're, you know, we're targeting later this year to re, uh, roll out a phase two. It must be tough to decide how much of that responsibility lay on, what need to lay on the vehicle operator who is also busy driving the vehicle. Absolutely. Uh, and that is their main focus is, is driving and making sure that everyone gets there safely. Um, we have a fantastic MTA police force who does a really good job of ensuring the safety of our, our system. You know, I, I have to brag on them. We've been the number one safest transit system out of the top 12 uh, for the past eight, nine years. It's been a while. Um, so, you know, violence isn't OK, but it does happen in, in Baltimore and really across the country. And our team does a good job of trying to keep it off the system. What has been established to make sure that you're getting regular feedback uh, from students and, and using that feedback to, you know, actively to, to sort of change and improve your services? So feedback from all of our riders is critical, and that's something that we're constantly trying to, to get and receive. Um, we have a, a chief engagement officer who is regularly going out, talking with communities, has been working really closely with schools, with the student council, uh, making sure that they're aware of our events, on our projects. You know, a lot of these projects that we're planning for, are the students today are going to be riding them years into the future, and we want to make sure that they're, they're serving those needs. Um, so a ton of feedback across the board that we're looking for. That said, in terms of school-specific, uh, we are looking at setting up kind of a youth advisory group or youth advisory council. Um, but we want to make sure that we're doing it in the right way, right? Like if I invited a bunch of students into a conference room and showed a PowerPoint to them, I think they would not come back the next time. And so I need to make sure that it's the right format, that it's the right message, that the feedback loop is, is correct. And so we're looking at other agencies that have done this. We're reaching out to schools to understand how they do it and do it well. And so we're, we're right now we're targeting to ha come out in like April or May for an application and then starting the youth advisory group this fall. Uh, but we, again, we want to make sure we're doing it in the right way. So let's talk about reliability. Let's talk about frequency of service. These are some of students' biggest frustrations, grown-ups too, I guess. We know these issues are driven in large part by operator shortages. Talk about what you're doing to address operator shortages. Are you, are you increasing pay? Reliability has been impacted by operator shortages, and this isn't something that's just hitting MTA. You know, it is a nationwide issue. Uh, you've seen uh, other schools that provide their own school buses have the similar issues. Um, so we've been working on that very heavily and kind of hitting it from a number of factors. So, so one is pay. So we did uh, reach a new collective bargaining agreement with our unions this past fall that increased our base wages, increased wages throughout to try and uh, get more operators in the door and, and make sure that their pay reflects that. Uh, we're changing how we recruit and where we recruit. You know, typically folks have come to us and now we're realizing, hey, we need to go out there and go to them. And so we, we you know, looking at on our buses, you'll see signs that scroll through like, hey, we're hiring for these positions. 
sessions. Uh, we revamped our website. We have a bunch of new videos. Uh, we've worked on a recruitment event with the mayor's office, and we're going to be doing more of those. Um, so I encourage anyone listening, if you know someone who uh, wants to be a bus operator or any number of positions that we have at MTA, we are hiring. Uh, it is a great place to have a career. I think about the bus operators and just the part of their job that's kind of like being the thankless recipient of everyone's aggravation with the system at large. It's like yelling at the waiter when there's something wrong in the kitchen. Um, How is bus operator morale? So I think the new CBA definitely helped. We had more uh, more pay, more benefits for our operators. Um, we're also incredibly focused on uh, limiting operator assaults. You know that is is also something that the Federal Transit Administration has been focused on. Um, and we, it is never okay to assault your operator. Yelling at them, spitting at them, any of that is not okay. We have fantastic operators. They're doing their best day in and day out to provide that service. Um, so again, it's, it's a focus from MTA Police. We uh, do some additional training with the operators. Uh, we're making sure that they have uh, resources that they can reach out to through the, the um, healthcare plan. You know, there's a phone number that they can call, and we let people um, know very frequently, like, it's okay not to be okay, and here's how you can get access to those resources. Have you seen the uh, absenteeism rates uh, going down? So we did put in place a new absenteeism policy uh, at the beginning of this year, and that is is helping to drive down the rates. Um, the, the focus there is really giving uh, folks more control over their own leave. So instead of being kind of a management and punitive policy, uh, it, we gave a, two extra days of personal leave and, and allow folks more control over how they use it. Uh, it's making a difference, and it is improving our reliability. Do you ever, as the administrator of this system, like, wish that we had school buses for the kids and that they weren't part of everything else that you had to deal with? So then school buses would add additional traffic <laughs> that our folks have to deal with in terms of uh, pr- providing uh, our school, our regular service and, and slow things down. I think, you know, students are an important part of our, our ridership. Uh, I think as a transit believer, right, like I believe in the power of transit. I believe in the the changes that it can make for the city, for the region, for the world, if we ever want to meet our climate change goals. Um, And so having students on transit, I think, is an important piece of that. It shows them uh, what is possible on transit, and it, it really trains them on how to be future transit riders. Speaking of those transit riders of the future, let's get back to Isabel, who is en route to her home in Dundalk from her school in East Baltimore. The crowd on the bus has thinned out. She's gotten herself a seat. The city blocks have given way to faster traffic. And she is rolling up to her bus stop now. Well, thanks for letting me ride along with you and uh, enjoy the rest of the walk home and uh, safe travels to you in the future. You as well. You just missed your bus. <laughs> oh, you got to t- <laughs> tell me how long I uh, got to wait now for the. Okay, well, here, we'll cross, yeah? Cross together and it's safe. All right, before we part ways, you got to tick on that transit app and tell me how long I got to wait for this thing. Your bus is about to come in 12 minutes. 12 minutes? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, you're a very good sport. Thanks for letting me roll with you. And, uh, yeah, happy commuting in the future. You as well. <laughs> <laughs>
All right, we're going to uh, circle back around now to our listener who asked this week's question. Lizzie, you wanted to know why Baltimore City School students don't ride school buses and have to take the MTA to school. I am not sure I did a very good job of actually answering that question in very much detail, but we did, you know, get into some interesting talks this episode about what that commute is like for the kids and uh, where there's room for some improvement. What are you what are you left thinking here at the end of this story? I have to say I'm from a city in Minnesota, Minneapolis and St. Paul where there's school buses for every school. So it didn't even occur to me that not having school buses available for city school kids would be business as usual. So that did in in some way actually answer the why for me, um, which is that's just how it is. I do, I'm left with a sense of uh, some discomfort in anticipating that my kid will grow up and have to navigate the city bus system. And uh, some of the kids' concerns about safety and just feeling uncomfortable on the bus made me anticipate needing to give her some extra tools to be able to negotiate that situation when she reaches an age where she has to deal with that. Yeah, it's a eye-opening experience to ride the bus with a high school kid and and just sort of see what they see and hear what they hear and experience what they experience. But, you know, one of the things that MTA Administrator Arnold said to me at one point and the various advocates that I've spoken to is, you know, the more people talk about this, the more it's on people's radar and the more likely people in power are to listen to the concerns of riders and, and make changes. So, I th- who knows? I think maybe your question is doing its part in its own way. Of course, we're always left with a follow-up question, right? Which is, if we're going to increase bus service, where does the money come from? So maybe you can work on that one next. <laughs> You're going to have to get back in the queue, Lizzie. But, uh, <laughs> all right. Fair enough. Consider your question submitted and uh, stay tuned, as they say. I want to thank you for uh, an excellent question. Uh, I learned a lot this episode. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Aaron. That is going to wrap it up for this edition of the Maryland Curiosity Bureau, an original production of WYPR in Baltimore in partnership with the Baltimore Banner. You can find a complete archive of all of our episodes at wypr.org slash curiosity. That's also where you can find an easy-to-use interactive text box where you can type in a question of your own and put me to work. The website again, wypr.org slash curiosity. And uh, by the way, if you enjoy the show and you want to do us a favor, take a quick minute and type in a review on Apple Podcasts or whatever app you listen on, just a line or two. Your words go a long way toward helping other curious listeners find their way to the podcast. Thank you for that. I appreciate you. For the Maryland Curiosity Bureau, I'm Aaron Henkin. Thanks for listening. Be in touch. And we'll do it again next week. The Maryland Curiosity Bureau is made possible with grant support from the Peel Center for Baltimore History and Architecture. Online at thepeelcenter.org.